So my dad passed away a little over three months ago, and I was asked by Reverend Ginger if I would share some of my thoughts and feelings about the deliverance ceremony that we completed uh, a little while ago. For those of you who don't know, in the Wan Buddhist tradition, uh, as well as traditional Buddhism, after you die, there is uh, a potential, or the potential, for your spirit to be confused about their new state, particularly if it's a sudden death. The Wan Buddhism scriptures in chapter 9 provide some guidance on sending spirits in transition. Reverend Yu also gave me some advice on this process. So that pe so people might be very attached to their previous life and after their death, they don't know what's going on. And this might prevent them from being reborn into a higher state or the highest state, which we consider to be your true self, which is symbolized by the circle image. During the deliverance ceremony, a person who is close to the deceased attends seven weekly services guided by the Kilmanims. And during these sessions, we dedicate our prayer and meditation to that person to remind them uh, and of this, uh, this true state that they um, should, should um, aim to be in. So the main principle is to help people die well by serving as a beacon for them during this time of transition. First, I know that the Kilmanims had asked the congregation and folks in the North Carolina temple had offered their prayers and meditation for him and us during this period. So I want to thank you for that. And I also thank the Kilmanims for guiding and attending this transition of his life. Uh, I had asked Reverend Ginger if she could come visit him when he was in hospice during that week. And she agreed and came up and sat with me and him, even though this was a week when there was a big Kilmanim retreat uh, taking place. So I believe my father heard her and responded a little to her chanting and singing, even though he was kind of uh, non-responsive. So let me uh, now talk a little bit about what happens during the deliverance ceremony that during those seven weeks. I won't, I won't mention everything, but uh, a few things that come to mind. One of the chants during the ceremony is the Sung Ju chant, which is in your booklet, I believe. The words of the chant are, may you attain eternal life as heaven and earth do, perpetually shining even with the extinction of all things. Awakening to this way of coming and going is an everlasting flower. Every step you take and everything you do becomes holy dharma. This is half of the truth of the Ilwan song, as I understand it, that we somehow become part of this, well, that we somehow are, are a part of this never-ending system that is constantly changing to the next thing. So what does this mean? It sometimes sounds a little bit to me like the evolution of biological life on Earth. According to Darwin's theory, we all started out as single-celled organisms 
and somehow over the eons, genetic mutations occurred and those organisms that were best adapted to their habitat at that moment in time survived and reproduced. So under this model, there is a scientific explanation for the continuity of life on Earth from one generation to the next. And according to Darwinism, you might say that dad survives partly through me since I have half of his genetic material. Since we have a common lineage with all living things on Earth, which are all made up of the same elemental material as the Earth itself, we can edge a little closer to the thought that we are just another reflection or manifestation or emergence of that never-ending succession of phenomena that are naturally or spontaneously occurring. According to the scriptures, nothing is completely annihilated but merely goes through a change of form. So biological science might agree with Wan Buddhism in, that, in the thought that each organism is not independent. Each, each has arisen because of what has happened before. And there's also conservation of matter. So that phenomenon, the manifestation through cause and effect, is the other half of the truth of Ilwan Song, as I understand it. As far as evolution and the passing of genes from one generation to the next, what is really being passed on? In this genetic code, it is information. DNA is just a set of instructions on how to build proteins that somehow translates into the building of a complete living and breathing sentient being. The instructions from one um, parent are combined with another set of instructions from the other parent to become you. So you might say at, at your conception, there's emptiness, you haven't been formed yet, but there is a form of awareness in the instructions. So the physical part of your body has not yet, been, has not yet started, but with the DNA instructions, there's a codified, codified wisdom. I don't know if anybody would agree with that that DNA itself is a reflection of at least a form of intelligence or awareness. Uh, yet, I'm pretty sure that this is not what the Wan Buddhists mean when they are talking about reincarnation, but it has to be somehow reconciled with that process, I think. So what is my understanding of reincarnation? I know that when Thich Nhat Hanh was asked about it in one of his books, to paraphrase him, he said that water, when it evaporates, turns into clouds. Clouds turn into rain. All things turn into something else. Forms change into other forms. So this is a more of a simple kind of reincarnation that I can understand. Buddhists, in general, seem to consider the seven weeks after death to be a time when the soul re reorients itself before being reincarnated assuming that the individual is not enlightened. And during this period, close family members are asked to pray for the deceased and meditate with them in order to remind them of what their true nature is so that they can enter this nirvana free of attachments. I, I have not yet learned why this belief exists about the seven weeks. I haven't asked that question yet. I know that uh, reincarnation was part of Hindu theology before Buddhism emerged, 
with my current level of understanding, I don't know if this belief is just a ritual. That is, I don't know if the disembodied soul of my father was listening during this process. This is something that I'm accepting on faith and not through a form of understanding right now. However, it, it is easy to understand how the deliverance ceremony is valuable for the families. During each of the seven weekly sessions that made up of the ceremony, family members were asked to write letters to the deceased to reflect on their lives and passing and any thoughts of what they meant to them and how they wished for their transition to go smoothly. For me, this was seven weeks of thinking about my father, writing out a letter to him on his impact on me and my family and what made his life different and special, as well as making sense of what is going to happen without him having around anymore as a physical presence in our lives. One of the songs sung during the service ceremonies has, was written by the Thich Nhat Hanh community. It goes, no coming, no going, no coming, no going, no after, no before, I hold you close to me, I release you to be so free because I am in you and you are in me because I am in you and you are in me. As I was singing these words, I listened to my voice, which uh, sounds a lot like my father's voice. I thought about him when he was my age at what point in life I was and, and what point in life I am when he was my age. In around 1979 or 1980, after being with his company for about 30 years, my father was laid off at the age of 54 or 55, where I am right now. The country was in a recession then. Inflation and interest rates were high, and I felt the tension in the family. Still, while he suffered through that time of, of going through the layoff, and during the following year of being unemployed, he took the time to finish off our basement into a livable area. He baked a lot of zucchini and banana breads. He watched daytime soaps with my sister. And then he took a lower paying job that my mother got for him working at a nursing home. So this was uh, one of my reflections of, of his resilience uh, as I look back on, on his life uh, and comparing it to where I am now at his exact same age. I thought about what his responsibilities were then and how I depended on him much more at that time when I was a child. Now I am much more like him. I sound like him. I might not look that much like him, uh, but you know the old adage that we become our parents and I could see myself in him very easily. As I move through the later stages of my life, I think about those words, because I am in you and you are in me. We know intellectually that there is no true difference between us as individuals when we are talking about our true selves. It is easy, I think, pretty easy to see that we are all dependently originating. We, be, we believe that our basic true nature is empty, but with numinous awareness. Ever, since everyone shares this true nature, we are all the same at the core. 
So when, when I talk about having a, a similarity with my dad, we first share that non-manifested true nature, but we can certainly say we also share a lot of the marvelous existence side of things as well. You know, specifically speaking about my father, we have these similarly shaped vocal cords and I sneeze in the same way that he used to sneeze. And I have his basic calm nature. Um, and I've also learned his habits and tendencies, some of them. So on the nature and nurture side of things, I have had a lot of opportunity to be like him. My father and mother had me late in life, so I only saw them as middle-aged people. I used to think that their lives were so boring, just eating, working, and sleeping, basically. And looking back at my father's retired life, it looked a little bit like life in a monastery in some ways. My father lived very simply. He liked doing crossword puzzles. He went through the daily tasks of prepping for meals. He watched the Yankees and old movies at night. They used to say a rosary. They were Catholic um, every now and then. Now that I am older and his age, I don't see his life as that boring. I see it as moderate, dependable, calm, conscientious, and forward-thinking. He was not a perfect person, but luckily I seem to have inherited a healthy body from him and my mother, of course. Everything about him, I say, applies to her. I can uh, make use of his calm and patient nature that I'm grateful to, to somehow have either received from him through nature or nurture. Uh, that is somehow through cause and effect, or another word for that, karma, how I manifested through the combination of my parents, which is a little hard for me to understand, that whole genetic part. But the, the easier part for me to understand is that I have an opportunity now to extend my father's life through my own actions from this point forward. I don't think that that is debatable. After those seven weeks of intense reflection on the grace he bestowed upon us within the context of Wan Buddhism, this is one of the fourfold graces that we experience that enables us to live. After all that grace, I and my family are left with feeling grateful for the little and big things that he did throughout his life to make our lives easier. And so there is no escaping that I received his grace. So what comes next? Am I going to now want to take what's been given to me and pay it forward? In the Wan Buddhism scriptures, when we experience gratefulness, we are naturally inspired to pass on our graces to those around us. So this has been my main takeaway from the deliverance ceremony for my father. Thank you.